The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network show and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, uh, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying and What is Chen Selling. And we are fortunate today to have Chen uh, scheduled to join us at about uh, 4.30 uh, in today's show. With regard to Chen Lin's newsletter, uh, at the uh, he is no longer automatically taking subscriptions. You do, do need to sign up uh, to become a subscriber to his letter, and you can go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com to sign up uh, for Chen Lin's newsletter. There are a couple of days yet this month when he is taking subscriptions, and uh, there may be a chance you could get in now. Otherwise, it is a quarterly basis. He uh, will open the doors and allow new subscribers to come in, depending on the amount of attrition. Uh, but Chen will be with us later today to share some of his investment ideas for 2013. Also, uh, though, you do not have to wait to sign up for my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and you can do that anytime by calling my assistant during the normal business hours in New York, and his name is Claudio Bossi. He can be reached at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426, or you can also go there, uh, go to miningstocks.com to sign up for my letter as well. Should also like to remind you that the best website to access everything that I do uh, is jtaylormedia.com, J-A-Y taylormedia.com, and that website is now uh, being revised. We're going to update it and want to make it a much more active, much more interesting place to go to for a constant news feed as well as a blog that would be uh, uh, that would be discussing issues on this radio show and in my newsletter on a regular basis. You know, we have a lot of very controversial topics that we discuss from time to time uh, on this show, and we want to give you an opportunity to participate in a give and take. And by the way, uh, it is possible uh, if you want to call in and leave a message. Uh, it does get through to me here. Uh, you can call uh, 866-472-5790. 
uh, and, um, and and leave them and uh, and get through to me sometimes at least when I don't have a guest. Uh, I am available today. We'll be a little tight because we do uh, we are fully scheduled um, for today's uh, show. I should also mention you can follow things that I do. You can follow me uh, on Twitter under the J Taylor Media handle. Uh, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. And, of course, we want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. They are Brazil Resources, Dynacor Gold Mines, Eurasian Minerals, Miranda Gold Corp., and Renaissance Gold. In today's show, David Stockman, uh, he's, uh, we're going to air a speech he gave to the Mises Circle in Manhattan. That was on September, uh, I believe it was September 14th. It was a day after Mr. Bernanke announced QE Infinite. And uh, David Stockman uh, warned in that speech that Mr. Bernanke is in the process of uh, killing capitalism. It's a very, I think, a very, very interesting speech. I think you're not going to want to miss it. David Stockman at about 3.30 in today's show. Then at 4 o'clock, Jeff Deist, he's Ron Paul's chief of staff, will be with me to talk a bit about David's comments, as well as some other uh, economic and political topics of the day. Also try to find out a little bit about what Ron Paul is planning to do going forward. And then at uh, 4.30, Chen Lin will be with me. As I noted, he's going to be stopping by to talk about some of his investment topics, some of the things he thinks uh, you may be able to make uh, some money on in 2013, and uh, those of you who may not be familiar with Chen Lin should realize that he uh, has had a stellar track record and uh, is uh, really somebody you do want to, I certainly do, want to listen to for my own investment uh, decisions to a great extent as well. Um, because uh, the sponsors that we have, I, I just mentioned them, Brazil Resources, Dynacor Gold Mines, Eurasian Minerals, Mineral, uh, Miranda Gold Corp., and Renaissance Gold, each of those sponsors also happen to be companies that I have personally invested in and companies that are recommendations in my newsletter. So I do expect uh, to talk a lot more about them in the coming weeks um, because, in fact, I think that we are in a bull market of a lifetime for gold mining companies. I've been saying that for some time. Um, and and that, But the main thing that you have to keep in mind, though, although the uh, the economics and the system, uh, the situation is very, very favorable for gold mining uh, at this point in time. Uh, there are a lot of dangers involved, especially with the more uh, speculative junior exploration stocks. And so I believe survivability is going to be the key uh, in this sector to success. Those companies that will survive should be in the catbird seat to pick up a lot of very valuable assets left behind by those junior companies that pass away in the meantime. Uh, and believe me, I, as I look at the landscape uh, in Canada primarily, the Canadians are really the people that know best how to explore and develop mineral properties. But we've had a lot of speculation, and all of this money that Mr. Bernanke pumped into the system creating malinvestment has also created malinvestment in the mining sector. So we've had an awful lot of waste, uh, an awful lot of um, uh, rolling of the dice in the junior exploration sector over the years. And there once was a time when little junior mining companies, if there was just a whiff of gold or even a mention of it, uh, the shares would rise very dramatically in certain in, uh, environments. Well, at this point in time, with the world involved, I think, in still the early stages of a major deleveraging process, uh, that is not so possible anymore. They, the, people are being much more careful with how they spend their money in this sector. 
That said, a lot of those junior mining companies will have put precious dollars, millions and millions of dollars, into the ground to gather geological data that becomes very, very valuable. So those companies that are able to survive will be in the as I say, in the catbird seat, to pick up those assets, those companies, for a prayer and a song. And the way I see it, based on some numbers that we talked about recently on this show, we could be seeing as much as, as, as I think, as many as 25% or so casualties in the junior resource sector. So we want to be very careful on how we uh, invest our money in this sector, uh, because, but at the same time, again, those companies that survive and thrive should be really reward their shareholders very, very handsomely. And the reason I say that is because the real price of gold has risen so dramatically that the profitability of the major mining companies has been very strong. Um, But in terms of survivability, it is also true that the companies that find the gold can grow the resource and grow their their production and earnings are are where the the big bucks and the big... Uh, profits are going to come from. Well, three of the companies on, that are sponsors to this show, and as I mentioned, all all of the sponsors are recommendations in my newsletter and also companies that I've put my own personal money in. Uh, three of the companies are what we call project or prospect generators. They are Eurasian Minerals, Miranda Gold Corp., and Renaissance Gold. And we'll be talking to the CEOs of those three companies. But for those of you who may not be familiar with what a project generator is, it's a company that uses other people's money to drill. Yes, they give up a percentage of the property, usually more than 50% of the property they give up. But in the meantime, they're not having to go back to the well and raise capital uh, at ever-declining share prices uh, to put money in the ground to, to drill holes. So these are companies that have used their intellectual capital. Uh, they're headed up by geologists who uh, have been in the, in the uh, exploration industry for many years, in many cases with major mining companies, and they have used their intelligence to gather up properties at a time uh, when, it was, when they were a lot less expensive, when they were easy to pick up, uh, and now they are using that intelligence as well as, of course, uh, surface exploration work that they do in the meantime to show them where to put the drill holes down and also to attract major mining companies. So the companies that I mentioned, Eurasian Minerals, Miranda Gold, and Renaissance, all have major mining companies spending big bucks to earn uh, and to look for major deposits. The major mining companies aren't looking for anything small. So if and when they find something, then uh, the rewards can be extremely large for these small-cap project generator companies. Uh, and the probability of finding something is enhanced also by the fact that these uh, exploration companies, these project generators, have a whole portfolio of properties that are very valuable or that have the potential to become uh, something big. So the project generators, Eurasian Minerals, Miranda Gold Corp., and Renaissance are three uh, that are sponsors and are on my list, and we'll be talking to them as well. Now, one of my favorite gold mining companies, though, uh, this is not a project generator. It's just simply a little company called Dynacore Gold Mines. It's also a sponsor of this show. Uh, this is a company that's on its way to producing 100,000 ounces of gold, but it has a very low number of shares outstanding. How did it get to where it is? Well, uh, Jean Martineau, the president of the company, just simply uh, earned, uh, grew the company the old-fashioned way. Uh, it uh, it just generated it just uh, from internal cash flows. It just grew slowly and surely. It's got a very unique model. We'll be talking to Jean Martineau in the near future. But they also have the prospects of a major find at its 
at their Tumi Pampa project in Peru, uh, this could really put this company into the stratosphere. But as it is, they're growing very nicely, uh, and the shares have done extremely well for uh, my subscribers. Brazil Resources is more of an exploration story. It is not in production yet, but it's headed by Amir Adnani, who has uh, aligned himself with some uh, deep pockets in Brazil, a financial institution. Amir has had a, a remarkable track record in the past of uh, being able to advanced junior mining companies, uh, specifically Uranium Energy Corporation is a, a company that is one of the most recent new uh, uranium producers in the United States uh, with, with great growth prospects there, but he's now heading up Brazil Resources. And Amir is going to be with me in another week or two to talk about uh, his company's prospects in Brazil. And uh, e- even since he's taken over that uh, company in the very uh, not very long ago, um, heading that company up. It's a new. Uh, it was a new IPO a couple of years ago. He's picked up some very valuable land in Brazil, uh, and advanced stage projects that I think are have a very good chance of moving forward. So we're looking for strong management and uh, people that have proven track records, and we're looking also for companies that um, that can weather the storm because uh, it's going to be very difficult. But the survivors, the companies that can. Uh, can stay alive and can advance their projects and grow, I think are going to be in the catbird seat. I think they're going to do extremely well for their uh, for their shareholders uh, because the economic conditions are right uh, for the gold mining industry. We do have to go to a commercial breakdown. When we come back, I want to expound a little bit more on why I think the junior or the gold mining sector is in a bull market of a lifetime. Don't go away. I'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Attention mining investors. Brazil Resources Incorporated trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000 ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil led by recognized mining executive Admir Adnani, chairman. Check out Brazil Resources or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at DynacorGold.com or follow us on Twitter at DynacorGold. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to pick up on a, a thought that I had uh, before we went to break, and that is, why do I say that we are in the bull market of a lifetime for gold mining shares? Well, I say that because um, uh, the monetary system that was forced on the public, forced on you and me, is really nothing more than a fraudulent means of transferring wealth and property from the owners, those are the people that produce wealth, to those in Washington and Wall Street that are the parasitic element of our society to a great extent. It wasn't always that way. Uh, you know, there is certainly is a, a place for government. There certainly, there certainly is a place for bankers, uh, but not for the kind of banking and government that we have these days. It's certainly not healthy. Uh, what we have essentially is I, I called uh, Washington and Wall Street parasitic. I absolutely believe that, but I believe that is true mostly because of the uh, of the fiat currency system that we have. Not only is it parasitic, not only does the current monetary system take wealth away from those who create it, but it results in malinvestment. It results in money going into bad places. Uh, and with scarce capital not being used efficiently, then the country becomes poorer and poorer as a result of it. I mean, if you think back and just look back in history, and you don't have to be very old to, to do this, but if you can think back uh, to the year 2000 was the top of the, uh, the dot-com and the uh, telecom bubble. We had a horrendous number of, uh, of companies that went out of business, companies that could easily get into business because there was so much capital pumped into the system, thanks to Mr. Alan Greenspan, uh, who was trying to to keep the system growing with plenty of liquidity? Remember, that's the big excuse that is given by those that believe in fiat money that we should have uh, endless amounts of money creation, and that way there would not have to be any recession. We wouldn't have to have any uh, any downturn time in the economy. We just had enough liquidity around so we could continue to make loans and we could continue to pump money in the system. Then we're always going to have growth. Well, I think that uh, that notion certainly should have been put to rest by now. But of course, old ideas die very, uh, very hard sometimes, and so we continue to think that we can just pump more and more money into the system. Um, but it it creates malinvestment. It is leading to a huge amount of harm and damage in the economy. Uh, and the the gold markets have not been oblivious to this. Uh, I think that's very important to realize that. Markets have throughout history always chosen gold as money uh, when it's available. A more important principle or idea, I think, to, to connect with is that uh, in the long run, markets always prevail over governments. When governments try to fool Mother Nature, when they try to, uh, to, uh, to get the markets to behave in a way that isn't natural, ultimately it comes home to roost. We should have learned this as Americans by watching what went wrong in the Soviet Union. Instead, what we are doing is, uh, is really uh, enacting policies that are much more like those of the Soviet Union or the Chinese communists today. It's much more like the policies 
um, fascist policies of many fascist dictatorships that we've seen uh, throughout history. But in any event, when uh, when gold is allowed to be used as money, and of course it's not allowed to be used as money right now, but nonetheless, because our monetary system is being so destroyed, so convoluted, with uh, and, and the markets have been so turned upside down, we are seeing... Um, gold react. And so we've had 10 straight years of rising gold prices. I don't know of any other market that has risen for 10 consecutive years. Uh, but gold has done that again in 2012. It's risen higher than the year before. So the, the so-called cure proposed by Bernanke and the ruling elite who are behind this system of, of what I think is nothing more than grand larceny uh, is worse than the disease, really. The cure is worse than the disease. So policies are delaying the inevitable but making the ultimate pain all the worse. And so while the price of gold has risen from around $250 uh, back in 2002 to as high as 1900 a year ago or so, uh, the real rise in the price of gold, I think, is yet to come. I think we're going to see much, much higher gold prices. And But unfortunately, so is the real extent of the pain that Americans are going to have to suffer we have barely begun to feel anything, I think, like we're going to have to feel, in large part because the debt relative to our incomes, to our national income, to our GDP, uh, is still at all-time, virtually at all-time highs. It's come off a little bit since Lehman Brothers, but it's very, very high even yet. And most of that pain has come from the private sector with the government trying to fool Mother Nature by pumping huge amounts of money, deficit spending, uh, Keynesian economics to the hilt, uh, and it is really causing a, a lot of harm. So I believe with complete confidence that the real price of gold uh, has could easily rise to $10,000 or higher. Uh, but at the same time, when I say the real price of gold, it don't necessarily mean that it's going to rise to $10,000 in nominal terms, although it very well might. It could go a lot higher than that. If we en- enter into some hyperinflationary environment, which I don't rule out, I think it's also possible that we could go in the other direction into a deflationary depression that could take the numbers of everything much, much lower. But that doesn't mean that the price of gold or that the value of gold wouldn't go up, even though it could go down in nominal terms. And so this is what's really important as one who invests in gold mining companies. Again, I would just say that the real price of gold has risen dramatically. Before Lehman Brothers, an ounce of gold would have purchased only 17% of the Rogers Raw Materials Fund. It grew then to 44% by March of 2009. It rose as high as 49.5% recently. Um, that is uh, oh, a few months back uh, during, the, uh, during the height of a European problem. Uh, it's now around 45% at close of the year, but we're seeing with that a very nice rise in the gold mining share prof, uh, profits of the major mining companies uh, and uh, because the real price of gold has risen dramatically. True, uh, as Brent Cook pointed out a, a week or two, a few weeks back, uh, the mining companies are having to mine lower and lower grades because it's becoming more and more difficult to find gold. But uh, it is also true that the major mining companies are seeing rises in profits. And I also believe that we are going to see a an increase in the real price of gold, whether that's in nominal or real terms, uh, because we haven't seen anything like an end to this crisis, this enormous amount of indebtedness. Now, addressing this issue is going to be David Stockman. We're going to go to break in a few minutes. But David Stockman made this speech that I listened to uh, in September 14, 2012, and with the uh, permission of the Mises Group, um, 
this speech was made at the Mises Circle in Manhattan. Uh, David Stockman, for those of you who may be too young to remember, uh, it seems like just yesterday to me, David Stockman uh, is best known for his service as head of the Office of Management and Budget in the Reagan administration from 1981 uh, to August of 1985. Uh, but he was also very much involved in the private sector, too, where he worked for the Blackstone Group. And after that, joining um, Blackstone, Mr. Stockman was managing director at Solomon Brothers as well. So we're going to go to break now, and when we come back, uh, David Stockman will tell you why he believes uh, we are, uh, Mr. Bernanke is leading our nation or is killing capitalism in America. Don't go away. I'll be back after the hour. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. Riverside Resources is a mineral exploration company focused on making big discoveries and is advancing a strong portfolio of gold, silver, and copper properties in the Americas. Riverside owns commanding land packages near active mines and deposits where new discoveries have been efficiently developed. Riverside Resources is exploring Mexico, a country with a rich mining history and an even more promising future. Riverside Resources. Knowledge is golden. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Well, thank you very much and uh, good morning. Uh, Until yesterday, actually, Lou, I had been thinking this would be an ideal occasion to deliver a very erudite and philosophical summary of this uh, book I've been working on now for a couple of years. Um, and then yesterday happened, and the Fed did it again, and I ended up thinking, uh, this is the final abomination. This has gone too far. I'm pu- it's street fighting time. Uh, this is beyond the pale. <laughs> I mean, it's undiluted lunacy. It's QEI, quantitative easing forever, which means we're going to print ourselves to death uh, as an economy. And so uh, instead of the erudite philosophical view of wh- how capitalism is being destroyed uh, by statist philosophies of one type or another, I'm going to launch into a full-strength full tirade about the Fed just in case anybody's interested. And I think you have to start by saying, before you get into any of the obvious issues, the problem today is the Fed is being run by the single most dangerous man ever to hold high office in the history of the United States. And I would say, in fact, he is more dangerous than most of the other well-known culprits that I can think of put together. He is more dangerous than Geithner, 
then Larry Summers, then Alan Greenspan, then Hank Paulson all put together, we would have to reach back, throw in a few old-timers like William G. Miller and Arthur J. Burns, and we still wouldn't be there. In fact, I'd have to go all the way back to Mariner Eccles uh, to come up with a package that could uh, add up to the damage he's doing. As a matter of fact, when you think of what's happening today and what this Fed is doing, you almost wish that Mariner Eccles would come back to life and that we could put him back in, the ch- in charge of the Fed because at least, and some of you may know your history, you read a lot of this stuff, I know, at least you would know that Mariner, Mariner Eccles, who was the first modern chairman of the Fed in 1935, was a uh, Keynesian, no doubt, uh, early for his time, but he was a fiscal Keynesian who actually believed that money printing was bad, that it would fuel speculation, and that if the government was going to rob the people, it should do it the honest way with taxes. Now, that was uh, that was Mariner Eccles back in 1935. And, uh, you know, today, when you look at what the Fed is doing, robbing the people in so many different ways, uh, you almost uh, wish that he uh, would come back. So I want to uh, kind of do an indictment here. I'm going to tick off a few things, and I'm sure I'll miss a few, and maybe if there's some Q&A time, we can cover them. First, it's obvious that this is the death of capital and money markets. There is no doubt about it. The capital markets do not, in money markets, they don't price anything anymore. They don't discount any future. They don't allocate capital anymore. All of this is simply a vast, frenzied trading against the last maneuver and the last uh, utterance of the Fed. After all, if interest rates uh, in the money markets are going to remain zero through mid to uh, 14 or 15 now, that's six years of zero interest rates. How in the world can anybody believe uh, that when you have three, two or three percent inflation as measured officially, and probably a lot more than that if measured honestly, that six years worth of holding the interest rate to zero has not completely destroyed and savaged any capacity of interest rates to signal things and to perform the price function that is essential in capital markets. Uh, Likewise, how can anyone believe if they're going to be massively intervening in the so-called middle of the market, buying $40 of MBS a month, and on top of that, continuing Operation Twist at about that amount, How can anyone believe any longer that the yield curve means anything? The yield curve is supposed to mean something. That is the heart of the fixed income market. It is the heart, really, of the capitalist economy of the world. And now it is being explicitly, um, you know, uh, unabashedly, in totally acknowledged way, being manipulated and twisted and uh, torqued and turned in order to meet some fanciful notion that the Fed uh, Open Market Committee has, the Monetary Politburo, as I call it, but certainly without a yield curve in the fixed income market, which is tril- tens of trillions worldwide, uh, the, the uh, markets uh, obviously uh, can't function. And the same is true of equity prices. They don't discount uh, company earnings anymore. They simply discount the next uh, Fed press release. When you have interest rates suppressed to this level, the 10-year, the central rate in the world market, the 10-year U.S. Treasury pushed down to 1.7, 1.6, 1.5, and their goal 
is to even lower it more, although it backfired on them yesterday. Uh, when you do that, that interest rate, which is the fundamental pricing mechanism of the capital markets, is the reciprocal of asset values. And so by definition, the more you push down the long-term interest rate, the more you're flating, inflating the value of every asset class that you can think of, uh, both uh, financial assets, real, uh, real estate, commodities, and so forth. And so therefore, the effect of this interest rate uh, repression or financial repression is to misprice all the asset classes in the world. And that then uh, is another part uh, of the witch's brew that's uh, uh, emerging out of this. So when you put all that together and you say the yield curve doesn't mean anything, interest rates don't mean anything, asset prices uh, are totally, uh, uh, assets are totally mispriced, the equity market is simply uh, uh, trading the Fed, what, what it means is that you've completely hollowed out and destroyed the capital market in effect, in a metaphorical sense, there is no one home on Wall Street. There are simply computers trading word clouds with each other emitted by this central bank or that. And uh, the obvious point is, how can you have a capitalist economy how can you uh, restore capitalist vibrancy and growth and all of the things that even uh, the Romney campaign is talking about if you've destroyed the capital markets which are at the center, which are at the heart, which are the lifeblood of the capitalist system? I don't think you can, and that's why I think that in the long run, this central bank issue is not simply about printing too much money or some hyperinflation down the road or even what I've talked about here, the clear and total distortion of financial markets and the price signal. This is really about the destruction of capitalism from the center out. Because if the central bank destroys the financial markets, uh, capitalism uh, is going to languish, and then the people will blame the bad outcome uh, on capitalism, and then legislative uh, action uh, will add even more. Now, um, the one way to look at this, uh, in terms of, and all of you are aware of this, but how addictive, addicted the capital markets have become to the latest nuance and move and maneuver uh, and slight change in statement of the uh, Open Market Committee and the Fed is a study probably some of you have seen, but in this particular morning after yesterday and the uh, crazy reaction that occurred in the risk asset markets around the world, this is really a good statistic. Somebody went out and went back and sorted the movement in the S&P 500 from uh, early, I think mid-1994, when Greenspan finally began to go off the deep end. It took him a couple of years, but uh, he, he uh, ended up way off the deep end. But anyway, if you take that point until yesterday, the S&P 500 index, which is, after all, the measure uh, of the heartland, let's say, of risk assets, went from 425 value in early 94 to 1460 yesterday. But, if you remove from that 18-year history each 24-hour period before uh, the F FOMC uh, met, then the index did not quadruple from 400, roughly, uh, to uh, 13, uh, 1460. 
but it went from 425 to 600. In other words, in the whole 18 years, the S&P 500 went up at about 2% a year, except in the 24-hour segments before the 12 or, uh, I mean, the 9 or 10 uh, FOMC meetings a year, all the rest of the gain. So 85% of the gain occurred uh, in the 24-hour windows uh, before each Fed meeting. So we have a Fed-run economy. There is absolutely no doubt about that. And, and I, as I say, when the Fed is running the con- economy, uh, capitalism can't survive. Second, I think it should be obvious that this also means the death of fiscal governance, if we're not already there already. Um, and I think uh, we're doing, uh, they're doing a pretty miserable job. But when you tell the uh, Capitol Hill and when you tell the congressmen, even some of them that might uh, uh, wish uh, uh, to be, you know, marginally responsible, when you tell them that you can borrow one year at 15 basis points, which you can this morning, or three years at 35 basis points, or out to five years at 75 basis points, from Washington's point of view, that's a rounding error. That's close enough to free not to worry about the carry cost of the debt. And so they don't, and so they kick the can, so they defer the tough issues. What congressman really of either party, uh, and no matter how corrupt he is or maybe uh, brave, wants to uh, bite the bullet, fall on the sword, disappoint constituencies if you can borrow for another year and hope things get better uh, on the margin for 40, 50, or 60 basis points, which doesn't uh, add up really to anything in the scheme of things. The problem is this interest rate uh, repression is only deferring the day when the whole thing explodes. We are now objectively at the point where we have 20 trillion of debt. I mean, they say it's 16.3, but there's so much built into the pipeline that you can say today it can't be stopped even if we had a total miracle and change of mind. There's 20 trillion. That means that if interest rates normalize, I'm not talking about some real, infl- uh, you know, inflationary flare-up or some huge uh, collapse in the financial markets, which I think is going to happen. But if they just normalize, they would go up by 300 basis points because right now the weighted average cost of the federal debt is 2%. So if it went up to 5%, it would mean that the carry cost on the debt today is being understated by $600 billion a year. In other words, before they even begin to think about any entitlement they might reform, whether or not they could possibly see the logic of cutting defense in a world where we don't have any enemies, uh, industrial enemies left, uh, in a world where, uh, you know, Romney is waving the bloody shirt at Russia. Why? I mean, Russia is a kleptocracy. They love to steal from each other. They don't have time to steal from other people. So uh, why do we have, uh, you know, this uh, enormous defense budget? Uh, So what I'm saying is that even if there was some inclination to begin uh, to uh, uh, grapple with those issues, uh, as long as you make it so simple uh, as they are today, as the Fed is, um, to finance another increment of a hundred billion a month or another trillion a year, uh, this will continue and we'll bury ourselves and even, uh, in even more debt that can't be handled. I think the third thing that came out of yesterday is that this is the real class war. Now you hear about that and you know, hear about it all the time in the campaign. But the real class war in America is that the Fed has declared war on savers. The Fed has declared war on thrift. 
the Fed has declared war on the fundamental mechanism of a capitalist economy where people are rewarded for deferring consumption by saving so that that pool of savings can go into reinvestment and all the other things uh, that we know about on which a real, vibrant, growing, thriving capitalist economy is uh, built. And so we have a determined, explicit, acknowledged policy in the Eccles building at the Fed to punish and essentially destroy savers. I just saw this morning, six-month CD, 40 basis points. That's all you can get. So uh, what are we telling people uh, about the future? What are we doing to people who have already retired, maybe with a decent nest egg? What we're saying is that if you expect to get any return on this, as per Bernanke, you can't keep it in some place that's safe. You have to go way out on the risk spectrum, and we're making granny buy junk bonds so that she has enough uh, uh, income coming in from the nest egg that her uh, deceased husband left her so she doesn't have to you know, buy dog food for dinner. That's what this Fed uh, policy is doing, and it is profoundly destructive, uh, I think, in a social sense, and is profoundly destructive in terms of everything that's wrong with our economy. We've been on a debt binge uh, for the last 30 or 40 years. Everyone knows that. There's one figure that I use over and over, and I'll repeat it today, because I think it really captures the essence of where we are and why this policy is so wrong-headed and destructive. In 1980, we had $5 trillion of debt in this country, public and private. In other words, the whole credit market debt outstanding, government, financial sector, households, business and so forth, a GDP of $3 trillion. So the ratio, let's call it the leverage ratio of the economy, was about 1.5. Now, the interesting thing is that that leverage ratio had been at 1.5 for 100 years. You could actually go back to 1870, and the best they can put the statistics together, it was 1.5. And in between, we had war and peace and boom and bust and William Jennings Bryan and Calvin Coolidge and a lot of other things. And during that entire period, it, it was very close to that 1.5 times. It seemed to be the natural leverage ratio for an economy. Then we, went, we took off in 1980 and went to the races. Today, we have $53 trillion of total uh, credit market debt outstanding on the economy. Uh, we have a $15 trillion economy. We are now leveraged 3.5 times, uh, uh, 3.5 to 1. Way off the charts, you just look at it, it's a straight line in history, and then it's a hockey stick straight up. And that is a big number, I understand, but if we had stayed on the beaten path, if we had stayed on what I call the golden constant, which seems to be uh, uh, been valid historically, and it was consistent with a stable economy and growth, and we were at one and a half times debt to GDP today, we would have $22 trillion of debt on the uh, uh, U.S. economy, public and private, not $53 trillion, which means that we're lugging around $30 trillion of excess debt, you know, uh, in the household sector, on the business balance sheets, on the financial institutions, and more and more on government. And if you have that much debt and you're that far off any kind of historic norms, why would you have a policy at the central bank which is trying to force people to borrow even more and discourage people from saving when obviously uh, we're totally upside down. Uh, now, the next uh, thing that I think is coming out of this is what I would call the real triumph of crony capitalist corruption. Because when the Fed engages in this kind of 
central planning sense, when it is all over the market, all the time, giving out signals and manipulating every aspect of pricing in the capital markets, the yield curve, and the components and constituents of the yield curve. Like yesterday, the smart guys knew there were certain kinds of MBS, mortgage-backed securities, to buy because they were going to rally on the Fed's announcement that uh, uh, they were um, going to buy $40 billion a month. But there were also certain kinds of MBS to sell because these were older MBS with higher interest rates. And now that the Fed is driving the mortgage rate down even lower, those are going to prepay at a higher rate than previously assumed. The negative convexity is going to eat people alive. And so yesterday, some people shorted negative convexity and bought the MBS that the Fed is going to be buying, made a killing, and this is supposed to be a capital market. Uh, now, for some reason, Goldman Sachs uh, printed the day before exactly what the Fed was going to do. And uh, if they were so bold, I might say to uh, print it uh, in a, a message to their unwashed uh, uh, clients. I can imagine what they were telling uh, the real insiders. Now, my point is that if you saw what happened yesterday coming, and it was well telegraphed, I believe a couple of thousand people made $50 billion yesterday in 50 minutes as a result of the radical, sudden, lurching move moves that occurred in the uh, uh, fixed income markets as a result of this announcement. The Treasury bond actually rallied, or the MBS, the uh, mainstream Fannie Mae 3% coupons, rallied in a few minutes by 1%. Now, when you realize there's about 5 or 6 trillion mortgage-backed securities, Fannie, Freddie, uh, Ginnie Mae, and then a, a couple trillion or so that are left uh, from the uh, private uh, label issuance, all of those were powerfully and massively affected yesterday by the announcement of the Fed, and the smart traders were positioned, laughed all the way to the bank, and captured the windfall. Now, the reason I think that is important is I don't begrudge some guy who was smart enough to do that, but I do condemn a policy that creates random windfalls as a result of manipulation of financial markets for no better reason than some lunatic academic thinks that this is going to make capitalism better. And that's uh, exactly what we have today. Now, how are the people in America ever going to be sold on capitalism when it's so obvious the system is rigged? And I don't say that from some kind of conspiracy point of view. I say that because Wall Street is cheek by jowl with the Fed. Wall Street demanded this. Wall Street said it would have a hissy fit if they didn't do it. Bernanke is weak, and the rest of that crowd around him is even weaker. I mean, did you see the vote yesterday? Set Bernanke aside. It's 10 to 1. Ten sheep voted for this uh, abomination on the uh, open market committee. So uh, given that kind of performance... Uh, it is very obvious to me that uh, our system now is simply riddled with trading windfalls, arbitrage of the next move, the next signal, uh, the next uh, slight variation uh, or of utterance that's coming out of the Fed. 
the next uh, part of my indictment is that uh, they have now taken money printing and bond buying so far off the deep end I can't even see it anymore. And, you know, after a while we get used to hearing, you know, 40 billion buy or QE1 uh, was 1.2, QE2 was 600 billion. Now this one is 40 billion a month, but it's really 80 because they were already buying 40 billion of MBS to replace uh, uh, the ones that are uh, rolling off. But let me just give a couple of statistical dimensions of this so that you can see that the Fed is all over this. It's smothering the capital markets and there may not be anything left uh, very long if we can get to 214 when Bernanke, uh, terms, uh, his term has expired. There couldn't be anybody worse I could, that anybody could imagine to a point, uh, I, I don't believe. But the point is, if you just look at the mortgage-backed security buying, and what are they doing in the mortgage market? We've already wrecked the housing market. We've already wrecked mortgage finance. We've already created this massive disaster that came in 205 to 208 and then in the aftermath and so forth. But now they're in there driving down the yield, driving up the price, distorting and contorting further the housing market. But here's how bad it's going to be. These, after all, everything we supposedly learned from the crisis of 207 and 208, uh, uh, Freddie, Fannie, and Ginny May are still alive and kicking down in Washington. Uh, they, you know, they've eaten alive about 180 billion of taxpayer money so far, but they're all uh, uh, still functioning. In fact, that's the only uh, part of the housing finance system that's left. But. The point is they're still issuing 140 billion of new mortgage-backed securities a month. And with the policy announced yesterday, the Fed is going to be buying 30 billion from before, the so-called roll-off. Now it's adding 40 billion. So it's going to be buying 50% of every mortgage-backed security issued by the entire complex of these Washington-based monsters who are using the taxpayer's credit uh, to stamp guaranteed on these uh, mortgage-backed securities. Uh, 50% of it now is going to be bought by the Fed. Another dimension of it is the following. I, I like this one, and I know uh, it's uh, something that probably a lot of you may be aware of, but I think the statistic is remarkable. The Fed opened for business in November 1914, and it took them 93 years till September 15 to be exact, 208, to accumulate a balance sheet of $900 billion. And, you know, that was through uh, two world wars, uh, a lot of unnecessary wars, um, through uh, the Great Society, uh, guns and butter, through the Reagan deficit disasters that I had some uh, knowledge and familiar, familiarity with and so forth, uh, through the George Bush fiscal catastrophe uh, that we had uh, in the last eight years. But through that entire period, it took that long for the Fed to accumulate $900 billion of balance sheet, mostly government securities you know, of one uh, maturity or another. In seven weeks of sheer panic, after Lehman went down, and the next day they found an excuse to bail out AIG when they couldn't find one the day before, in seven weeks, Bernanke doubled the size of the balance sheet of the Fed. He did in seven weeks another $900 billion that had taken 93 years uh, to uh, generate uh, in the first instance. 
And then in the first 13 weeks after the Lehman event, the uh, balance sheet of the Fed went to $2.5 trillion, which means uh, it almost tripled uh, in 13 weeks uh, relative to 93 years of history. So it tells you that something is way out of kilter. There is some lunatic doctrine. There are some madmen in charge of the printing press who uh, have no idea that, uh, you know, uh, simply printing money uh, can't possibly uh, cause any uh, good and will uh, most certainly generate a huge amount of bad. After all, if it were so simple as what this open market committee is saying, there's PhDs on there. I, you know, I, there's, there must be something wrong in the water supply at Princeton. I, I can't figure out, uh, you know, if you're there long enough, you must get brain damage or something. I, I can't figure out where these people uh, are coming from. But if it were so damn easy, why don't we just stop working? Why don't we just stop worrying and have the Fed print $8 trillion worth of balance sheet, literally drop it out of a helicopter, as Bernanke once advocated, and our job would be one hour today to pick up enough money to get by and then do the rest of the day, uh, you know. Uh, because I, I, that's where it's leading. This isn't, you know, it used to be sort of on the margin. Well, you know, should you have M1 growing at 4.5% or 3 uh, That You know, that was, was a stupid debate, but at least it was fair. Now they're printing it with such reckless abandon, with such enormous magnitudes, that if this continues, there will be a $4 trillion federal balance sheet, uh, by, I mean, a Federal Reserve balance, $4 trillion Federal Reserve balance sheet uh, by uh, 214 when hopefully uh, Bernanke's term will be up. Uh, obviously, uh, the uh, point is clear to everyone is that what's happening at the Fed today is Keynesian financial central planning on steroids. And the worst thing is, it's done by 12, 12 unelected members of the Federal Open Market Committee who therefore don't have to answer to anyone. And they have long terms. And so it's even worse than the old-style fiscal Keynesianism that uh, you got from Samuelson and all the rest of them, because at least then, Lyndon Johnson had to go to Congress and try to persuade them to run these deficits, and they were reluctant to do it. Uh, even, uh, you know, back then, even Nixon, who uh, was totally out of control on the fiscal issue, said, we're all Keynesians now, but he even, uh, at one point, uh, had to cut spending and raise taxes because uh, it took at least some uh, Democratic assent. But today, we have 12 people who are self-appointed monetary central planners who believe they're in charge of the entire economy, who have no clue that they don't know what the real growth potential of the U.S. economy is with $53 trillion worth of debt on top of it, with a leverage ratio of 3.5 rather than 1.5 after doing a 30-year national LBO. How do they know what the growth, real growth potential is of the economy anymore until we have a cleansing and a liquidation of all of this malinvestment, all of this massive debt, all of these distortions that have built up? They don't know, but they're presuming they know, and that's why they're printing money, because they're trying to get the economy to be at the potential growth rate that they uh, 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 decree as possible. They uh, said yesterday, we're going to give the, the statement yesterday, and this is why I call it QEI, is we're going to print money and we're going to ne- never stop until the unemployment rate comes down to where we want it. 
well, how do they know what the full employment rate is in an economy that has been as damaged, impaired uh, as this one has been? That we all know the full the unemployment rate doesn't even measure anything. I mean, it's just like uh, nonsense coming out of the BLS. Everybody knows that people are dropping out of the labor force. The denominator is uh, stagnant, uh, and so therefore they're using a statistic that most sensible people would never use, even to manage their own little investment portfolio. They're trying to run a 15 trillion dollar economy uh, on a number that's that uh, flaky and shaky. And so, therefore, they have done something that I find really outrageous, and that is yesterday, it was almost like, you know, Congress is making us do it, okay? Yeah, we're printing a hell of a lot of money. We're sucking up everything inside in terms of the Treasury market, the MBS market. Yeah, we're, we're probably trying to levitate the Russell 2000 and so forth. But we have to do it because we have a mandate from Congress that says maximum uh, employment, uh, and price stability. Well, the point is, if you ever read that, it doesn't say you need an 8% unemployment rate or 4% or 5.8762% unemployment. There's nothing in there. That's an excuse in order to simply take charge, take control, uh, become uh, the monetary politburo of the U.S. economy. So uh, this is a worse kind of Keynesianism because there's no check on it whatsoever. It's just uh, 12 uh, people uh, utterly out of control. And therefore, I believe, and this is my last point, that it's leading to a constitutional crisis. Um, it is going to be more evident to people with each passing day that you do have an unelected uh, dozen people running this economy ruining the capital markets, crushing savers, allowing Washington to run massive debts without any carry cost, creating windfalls, crony capitalist windfalls for all the smart speculators who have uh, a little inside knowledge about what's going on, turning capitalism because they're, they're creating free money, they're turning the free market into a doomsday machine. And uh, I think when that begins to uh, uh, settle in and people realize how out of control this is, uh, and hopefully the Republicans will finally wake up after all these years of sleepwalking, um, maybe uh, the issue will come uh, to a head. I'm not counting on it. I'm somewhat of a pessimist. But yesterday was so far off the deep end that maybe it's a wake-up call the country finally needs. Thank you. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure, a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals. 
Attention mining investors. Brazil Resources Incorporated trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil, surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000-ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil, led by recognized mining executive Admir Adnani, chairman. Check out Brazil Resources.com or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001.